0: You're listening to Sunday Lunch with Brendan McCarthy here on Express FM and I have in the studio with me today my special guest Dean Woods, who is the author of a brand new book called Just a Smile. It's an autobiographical story about life growing up in foster care in the early 60s and the impact that has had on the author's life. Welcome to the studio, Dean. Thank you for having me. So firstly, what inspired and motivated you to put pen to paper?
1: Well, it's an interesting question, Brendan. I, I've asked myself that a few times as well. It's it's um, it was basically because some friends of mine had taken up fostering in the last couple of years, and I've watched their journey through this, the, the courses and the and all the associated problems of how to become a foster carer. But I was intrigued to see that the stories that were coming from the foster care system uh, about children and uh, young adults and how they've, um, dare I say the word, still suffering, Um, I was intrigued to find out that my life uh, in foster care, um, although I thought thought it was quite hard, uh, there are still challenges now going on. So for me, I needed to put these um, thoughts and ideas and memories into a format where I could then give that to people who are in foster care and say to them, look, I came through the foster care system in the 60s, Yes it was hard um, and although we think the foster care system now is is a lot better and of course some aspects of it are, there are still uh, children and young adults suffering, uh, going through self-doubt, low self-esteem uh, as I did. So I thought it was important to get my message out there and say to them look I came through the system, uh, it was hard um, um, but with a lot of very very good friends um, I came through that system and able to live a perfectly good, uh, satisfying life, and not to let it uh, dictate to you, not to let it ruin you, and uh, not to let it uh, destroy your life. And that's that was
0: it, Brendan, basically. And the book, it's the title's Just a Smile. Mm-hmm. There's quite a lot of meaning behind that phrase, isn't there? If you ask any child when they first
1: meet someone who's caring for them, you're looking for that person to... Uh, acknowledge you to welcome you Uh, and I don't think there's any better way uh, of doing that than smiling again I can remember back in the 60s going into a foster uh, home for the first time and sat there on the sofa and no one was smiling they were looking at us me and my brother like like we were strangers and I understand that we are strangers to them smiling at someone is so so
0: powerful Uh, and children as young as one or two years old I think understand that and you talk about those early days going into foster care you talk about it quite vividly what was going through your mind on that first day as a three-year-old when you went into your first foster home there are things that stick in your mind uh, and you
1: talk to anyone uh, of my age over the age of 60 and there are certain things you remember uh, which you can't remember what you did yesterday but you can remember what you did 40 years ago it's such a Shock to the system to be moved somewhere completely alien, different to you, different faces, different people, different smells, different rules, and then uh, to think to yourself, well, how how did I get here? What am I? Who am I? You know, why am I here? Uh, whereas uh, children are brought up by parents, uh, their, their own parents, won't have them thoughts, won't be thinking that. Um, so when you go to a new home, a new place, uh, and you see this it's something that sticks in your mind forever. And I can still remember the trip to that foster home. I can remember it was a mini car. I don't know why I remember that. I guess it's because we were jammed in the back. I can remember going into the house. I can remember sitting on the sofa and I can remember looking around thinking, is this it? Is this my home now? When you are moved from one home to the other, you then question who you are again. It is an autobiographical piece.
0: Have you relied mostly on memories or have you got diaries or notes that you've kept over the years to, to help inform your writing?
1: No, it's it's actually done from uh, memory and talking to friends. As I say, along this journey, my first 15 to 16 years, which is really what this book is about, there are so many episodes that I tended to reflect more on. I'm more of a thinker, whereas people would react and maybe shout and kick. I would absorb it. I was very good at just sitting and listening and watching but guilty of not asking questions for me that meant i stored it all and you do store these chapters these little incidents because you know i spent so much time thinking about them um whereas a child brought up in in a perfectly normal home with with mum and dad there mum and dad would be your do you remember when you done this do you remember when you did this on your 10th birthday and you go oh yeah i remember that so that was missing. I guess I made my own uh, markers along the way, you know, and then markers are incidents, um, quite shocking incidents, some of them, and quite uh, surprising and quite joyful. It wasn't, all, uh, it wasn't all a sad story, you know, meeting other members of the family, you know, which was a shock, but also a, a lovely shock. Yes, it's a very pertinent question. I, I, I didn't have a diary. But once I sat down and started putting each post I went to at the age of three, five, I tended to
0: have incidents I can remember uh, and they've stuck there. They, they're not, they're not going to go away. And so putting pen to paper, has it been a bit of a, I guess, a Pandora's box? Did it open some memories that you had forgotten about?
1: They're very difficult memories, some of them. And when you start putting them, as I did, onto paper, I put down and I took stuff off. But then I, I went away and thought about it. Uh, over a period of about a year and a half no I'm not going to hide anymore I'm not going to put in what suits me I'm going to put in what actually happened I guess I tried to analyze it a little bit why and how that affected me it's a very difficult journey um, to sit there and go okay let's unearth the unhappy events again because it does leave you feeling a little bit a little bit down a little bit depressed but you can't linger on those events you've got to then try and analyse and maybe think well hang on although it did happen to me it made me a stronger person it made me more determined.
0: You talk in your story about going through foster care and through social services and then after going through all of that at the age of 18 something completely life-changing happens to you doesn't it?
1: Yeah. yeah. Do you
0: want to tell me about that and the impact that's had on you? I've not hidden
1: this to uh, my close friends and, uh, well, a lot of my friends, um, and indeed I've even told my daughters about it. They were quite shocked. I, I ended up getting put in getting put into prison for three years and uh, this was after uh, a football match where a football fan uh, we were involved with, football match between Portsmouth and Reading, and the football fan uh, got badly injured and a friend of mine who was involved in a fight with him, but the fact we were there and the chap got seriously injured uh, meant we all then were implicated in it. We were all charged with um, grievous bodily harm, and nine months later, after this event, we were all sentenced totally out of the out of the blue. Never been in prison before, never been prosecuted or anything. My first uh, prosecution, uh, and I was doing three years um, in prison. So again, for someone who's come through the care system, it's a little bit of a uh, a double whammy. I've been given a real or doubt a horrible card and then there's another one comes along however I've got to say my time in prison wasn't all bad I learned a heck of a lot about myself I learned a lot about my physical state if you can imagine you go into prison you're not prepared for the system um, and how do you deal with that well you get stronger or you get weaker I got stronger and and it was a very very interesting journey because I found out a lot about myself I got very, very fit. I did a lot of reading while I was there, heck of a lot of reading, uh, which, again, improved my mental state. Uh, and as you can imagine, you spend a long time uh, locked away uh, and it gives you a lot of time to think. Uh, and, f- again, if, if you think too much about the prison sentence, about your, the injustice of it, it tears you apart. So I tended to look more onto the positive aspects. And I made friends as well. And that, I think, got me through. Um, I did I did one year. I got parole after a year. Uh, and then when I came back into the world, it was like, OK, let's start again. And for me, the journey was then starting. That's when I really became uh, an adult and started to progress. And, and it got me, I think, to the point I'm at now. Um, so, yes, very difficult part of my life. And, and telling people even now... Um, it's difficult because people don't know that side of me. They don't know where I've been. But again, as I said earlier, I've got no qualms at all about opening up and saying to people, hey, it it happened. Put my hand up, be honest about it and say, um, I learnt a lot from it. I became, I think, a better person because of it and a more confident person, which is a strange thing to say about going in prison. Uh, I could have ended up in a lot worse place, but it actually gave me a bit of a... A uh, kick up the backside and said hey come on it's not the end get on with it uh, and try and get the best out of it
0: and you were saying you know Prism's been quite a transformative experience for you uh, I think what I found really interesting in there but it's also kind of a, a theme throughout the book is how having responsibilities and being given work has been really important in keeping you grounded it's interesting how talking to you how people pick up on different aspects
1: of the book and sometimes I've I've put things down on paper and only when I've someone said to me do you realise that I I guess that role of responsibility whilst you're in prison is making you aware that if you if you can be trusted uh, your self-esteem will go up and it absolutely did Uh, and my respect for myself went up because you you can imagine you're at a very very low point uh, at the first part of the sentence and then as the sentence moved on I moved on and then they recognised that and and I was able to do more jobs with more responsibility and I enjoyed that, I enjoyed that and, and I, I guess, as I said, my boss at work um, saw something in me, so did people in the prison system uh, and they gave me more responsible jobs and sometimes you don't know that, you don't realise that until someone comes up to you and says look, I'd like you to take on this role it's a lot more responsibility but we trust you and trust is such an important word uh, to hear, as you can imagine, in in a prison system, if you're trusted, then they're saying something about you. So you're already on that road back to um, become a, a a normal adult, back out in freedom, in the world of freedom. So yes, I, I was very fortunate. there was people who who saw in me the the my first boss, uh, Reg Norton at, at Power Europe, saw something in me that I didn't know was there, uh, and people in the prison system trusted me, and and that. Was again another massive leap, uh, and it gave me a real, real buzz and a push. Uh, And then being a trustee in a system is saying to you, look, you can be left to walk around all day. You're not locked up, so it's a a double whammy for me. You know, it's like wow. I feel, you know, quite empowered. You know, to walk around while everyone else is locked up, and you're doing jobs that other people wouldn't be trusted to do. So, it was a massive lift, and and I'm, I'm sure it contributed to myself getting parole after after only serving one year and also uh, getting my job back at uh, with power europe in Portsmouth there and my boss reg norton um putting a very very good word as did other people i work with at power so i was very fortunate again because that word trust come into it they they trusted me to come back um get back on with my apprenticeship and get to the end to become a, a good tradesman so uh, again i was I, th- I can't you know I really think I've been lucky but also um, I- I've uh, been trusted because they've seen something in me that maybe we don't maybe we don't see what's there other
0: people do and you're pouring your heart and soul into this book uh, are there are there bits that you just had to leave out you didn't have the space to put in or do you feel that you've had a, a chance to put everything you wanted into just a smile
1: well that's that's a that's an interesting question because i i did spend many many hours thinking about um maybe introducing more people introducing uh different stories but uh, there's also a thing about confidentiality that went through my head I, I was very aware of not bringing people into the story uh who really i don't see anymore or so out of respect for them a little bit um, and names, I couldn't bring names in at certain points because I thought, no, that's, that's, that's not it's not fair on them to bring them in. And also, it, you, you can imagine foster care in the 60s, things were happening uh, which, which weren't good, which weren't good for the foster children, um, and, and we thought we were doing the right thing. Sorry, when I say we, I meant the foster system mm. thinks it's doing the right thing, and of course we're so much more informed now so it was unfair to leave people in there who who really were only doing their job, uh, who were only uh, acting on what was in the papers. Because obviously the media uh, and the internet wasn't around then. Mm. So it was it was very difficult to leave people out. Um, there are more people uh, have, since I've uh, written the book have come up to me and said that. Do you remember? I remember. Do you remember? Uh, and I say goodness, yes, yes, I do remember, so sorry for leaving that bit out, but it was more of a, uh, a journey that I was using, as I said, signposts along the way, and that for me was the important message to get across, but there's always um, a little bit of, think of the word now, a little bit of um, regret that I didn't, didn't bring people in,
0: you know, that I, maybe I should have done. And you work alongside people who are now foster carers. Do you feel there has been changes since your experience in the early 60s?
1: Definitely, definitely. I I absolutely take my hat off. I admire, I respect anyone who's fostering in in today's world. It is such a difficult task. It's the journey to become a foster carer um, or, or even to adopt is such a long journey and it's so so many different courses events uh, maybe even uh, spending the day or weekend um, working with other foster carers you know, like yourself uh, are learning to become foster carers it puts so many people off there's so many people that drop out and I only know that through talking to people who've become foster carers uh, say I've got two groups of friends separate friends who, who've different journeys they've been on and it's 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 still fraught it's still difficult uh, and so I, I really do take my hat off to people and as i said in my book um, uh, thank god they're there you know and, and the difference between the 1960s and now is i think we're all more aware of of what can go wrong we're all more aware of um, even though we put all these things in place there are still um, quite tragic events happening and, and I'm not going to go into them here. It, I sit and think about them and I won't mention any names or incidents, but I really, really do sit there and get quite depressed and quite sad um, about when you when you hear these stories come through on the TV or on the radio and, and, and every now and then they do and, and it it does affect you. You look back at your own life and you think, good God, I was lucky. I was very lucky, although, although things happened to me that weren't nice. I was one of the lucky ones, I got through the system. But even though we think we know we've put everything in place, I don't think you can stop uh, what's still happening in the world today, it's, it's quite tragic. Um, it's, it's the human element, as I said in my book, where how can we how can we make, um, how can we plan for this? Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. And, and when it does happen, it, everyone then looks at themselves and questions themselves, are we doing it right? I think they're trying to do it right, which which for me is, is better than maybe what we were doing in the sixties, assuming it was right and just just brushing over it. look, let's just get on with it. Um, so now they they're trying to analyze it more, and they work very well with the foster carers uh, but but it still goes wrong. I don't think we can we can
0: plan for that. it happens and and based on your experiences in those early years, what one bit of advice would you give to anyone who's fostering right now? to to make to 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 make the children come into their care feel that warmth and love that maybe you were missing in those early days
1: yeah I think that's 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 a very very important question and it's it's it's, it's ironic that I go back to that same story when I when I first walked into that foster home and no one was really smiling no one was really talking. And I think what happens now is, and I can go only go from experience of the people I know in foster care, they go out of their way, they make themselves available, uh, they sit and listen, they ask questions and they listen to the answers. So they notice the child. So I think that's that's excellent. And, and I'm sure the training they, they've gone through will help them make that child feel welcome. Uh, and if you can't welcome a child into the home, um, then don't take the child into the home. You, you, you're in the wrong job. But these people know that after doing two or three days of these courses, they understand that. So I think the the child is, I think, made to feel more welcome. It's a very very difficult thing to do if you if you look at it from a outsider's point of view. You're welcoming in a stranger to your home, and they're not always. Uh, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, they could be young adults, and young adults with all their issues and teenage angst going on are such a challenge, but you still have to treat them like, like they're your child. And that's a very difficult thing to get across, that, that they're not your child, but you've got to treat them like your child. And I don't know, I, I don't know if I could do that. You know, I don't know if I could foster children. I guess I would understand what they're going through, but is that enough? You've got to want to welcome that child into your home uh, and treat it as one of your own and i guess that's what was missing in the 60s that is probably there now i i definitely think it's more there from the foster carers they understand the child more and they understand the feelings of that child and and, and there'll be times when the child won't be logical there they'll, they'll be illogical they will be irrational and they'll be very angry, and, and that's a word I've probably not used in my book enough. Um, I did get angry, I was angry, um, but you keep it inside, you lock it away, and then it becomes like a, uh, an illness, a disease, it will affect you. So the fact that the child has got someone to talk to, listen to, um, ask questions, um, is so, so much more helpful to that child
0: um thank you so much dean thanks for coming on and being so candid and open and it it's an absolutely fascinating story uh, i managed to to get through the book in two to three days and just intensely reading because i was just so enraptured in in what you've been through and as you say it has been a tough upbringing but there has been those moments of of uh joy as well how can people get hold of the book
1: um the book the book's on amazon as you say it's called just a smile um and Although uh, I'm quite pleased, it is selling. It's not, it's not. It's not going to be a blockbuster, but it is selling. And, and for me, is uh, if if you've if you feel that you're a foster child at the moment, you feel that there's there's no future. It's darkness. It's depression. Um, maybe people are having a great time and you're not. Uh, pick up the book, read it, have a look at it, uh, and then by all means put a comment on Amazon about it because I think them comments help others. And the comments i've had through the amazon um, feedback page have have been really 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 good Uh, and to me i it's more of a i guess from a foster child's perspective a guide to fostering you know the fact that there is dark darkness there there is depression i keep using that word because that's how i felt Mm. at times Um, but there is light at the end of the tunnel Uh, and so yeah by all means have a read put a comment uh, and I think as a guide to fostering uh, from a child's point of, foster child's point of view, um, it's, that's the powerful uh, message I wanted to get across uh, and also about
0: friendship. Um, that's, that's a theme throughout the book, friendship. Brilliant. Thank you, Dean. Thank you for coming on today. You're welcome. Uh, I've been in conversation with Dean Woods, author of Just a Smile.